0: Hi and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. This is your host, Spencer Martin. The, after a week off for the Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S., we're going to be talking about uh, Wout Van Aert's strange, uh, seemingly drug dealer handoff after a re- recent cyclocross race. Uh, and then we're going to dive into a few newsletter topics that I've been writing about this week, uh, specifically the Quebec ASOS team, how ASOS is Possibly financing that team, and if they can even be competitive with that level of financing. Also, the we're going to go over the 2021 to overall Tour de France odds, which are showing some major disrespect to Tadej Pogacar, and how you can personally profit from that. So that's great. And uh, just a, I'm going to cover a bit of rumor, rumor news, uh, new uh, things. I something I will believe will be news soon, but it's currently a rumor. rumor that Rod Ellingworth, the performance manager slash team director at Bahrain Marita, is going back to Team Ineos for this upcoming season. Ellingworth was at, uh, he was the performance director at Team Sky, but when Sky left as a owner slash sponsor and the team changed to Ineos, Ellingworth went to Bahrain Marita, kind of strike out on his own. The team has not been the same since, so this is a pretty big deal. Uh, but first, if you want to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash btppod, and thank you for everyone who's done so. Uh, it's always fantastic to see those coffees coming in. And uh, I believe next week I'll have an announcement. I'm, I am gathering brands that I can throw into the uh, premium newsletter subscription. So if you subscribe to the newsletter at beyondthepeloton.substack.com, you will be getting discounts, pretty significant discounts on cycling-related items, uh, but I'm still ironing out the details on our first discount product, and then hopefully we'll kind of get cooking along and get a couple more of those added in. But there's a there's a free newsletter once a week that if you like the podcast, you should certainly sign up for and keep an eye out for uh, any upcoming discounts available. But let's jump into this, this Woot Fan Art strangeness um it was just a a video on eurosport i believe the race was from today um I i can never keep up with cyclocross schedule i have no idea what these races are when they're happening uh i i might make some enemies here i don't even really consider it a real sport just what they're running around they're on their bikes i don't understand it i know it's a big deal in belgium it definitely produces fantastic riders. I mean, Woot Van Art and Matthew Vanderpool were both cross riders before going to the road. And now they're probably the two best one-day road cyclists. But it's when those guys are racing cross, they're just so dominant. I don't find it that compelling. <laughs> but so woot Van but woot Van Art finished a race, I think it was today, and was handed it looked like a drug handoff. Like it looked like his he was climbing up to the podium, and a team worker like, tried to discreetly hand him some type of small baggie that you would usually associate with someone like selling cocaine to someone. Uh, it was caught on TV cameras. It, it's super sketchy. It looks really sketchy. Uh, Neil Rogers, the former editor-in-chief at News and Cycling Tips... Reached out to the team and they said it was ketones. Uh, I was just talking to friend of the pod, Tim Hayes, this morning about it. I, I don't know much. I don't know enough about ketones to know if that really holds water or not. I, I thought you took ketones. I thought they were like a dissolvable powder that you drank in a water bottle. So I don't know why you wouldn't just hand him a water bottle. That doesn't make total sense to me. It, I mean, maybe he was just handing him a handing him a baggie of dissolvable ketones that then he would later put in a water bottle or they're in a capsule. I don't know, the whole thing was strange. Uh I I don't even really know what performance enhancing drug it would be. It just literally looked like he was buying cocaine from uh Team Helper after the race. Uh I'm not insinuating that's what he was doing, but this is a known issue with Belgian superstar cyclists. As we all know Tom Boonin was constantly testing positive for Coke. So I don't know. I'm worried. I'm worried about Woot, our our lovely Woot Van Aert. I hate to see him caught up in this, but it was it was super weird. It could be as simple as it was just a ketone handoff, but it does speak to like a more serious issue where there was like Rimko Ebenapol, another young Belgian star, had a, str- a similar strange incident where he crashed at the Gio de Lombardia in August and his Swan was seen, it's a guy, Swan is like a person who works for the team and takes care of the riders, was seen like taking something out of his pocket. Like it looked like a little baggie of drugs and then slipping it into his own pocket before the medics arrived. Really strange stuff. Um, it just raises a lot of questions and the answers from the teams are never that, are never that satisfactory. And then it just like throws a bigger cloud over everything they accomplished later. I, yeah, and it's difficult for the writers. I don't know what Wood is supposed to say other than it's ketones, if it was ketones. Um, I mean, maybe they could be more transparent about like, oh, this is literally what we handed him, and these are this is when we take ketones. Uh, I don't know enough about ketones to know if it's normal to take them after an effort. But if you recall, we had Nate Wilson, the performance director for Team EF Education first on the podcast a few months ago. And I asked him directly if, if EF uses ketones. He said they didn't. And then he said it, it wouldn't make sense towards the end of an effort anyway. So that just, just judging from that answer, I mean, maybe I'll have to get Nate back on and ask him about this or just try to send him an email. But it doesn't make sense that then you would, if you don't take it towards the end of an effort, I don't think you take it after an effort. I think it's kind of a, maybe a habitual thing or like before an effort type substance so yeah I, i'm not I, i'm not really buying the, the ketone thing but i don't have another explanation it just looks it looked really bad i mention it because woot van art is I, I probably received the the two most popular questions i receive from listeners of the podcast readers of the newsletter are is Tade pogachar doping and then the second most que- second most asked question is is woot van art doping so these Wout van Aert is certainly raising eyebrows with his performances. I mean, he was absolutely incredible in 2020. He was fantastic in the one-day monuments. He won uh, Milan San Remo. He won Strata Bianchi, which isn't a monument, but it's a really tough one-day race, and then nearly won Tour of Flanders, and was climbing with the best riders in the world at the Tour de France. So, you know. Things, questions are raised when you perform like that. And then when you're just being shadily handed drugs on the way to a podium, it's, it's not a good look. I don't know why they're doing it. After the RIMCO disaster in August, there should have been a memo sent out to anyone working for the team, any teams like, hey, don't shove, don't take things out of writers' pockets and shove them into your pocket like you're trying to hide it from people. Or don't hand a writer something in an Possible view of a camera that looks like you're trying to hide it. Like that just seems really silly. But uh, we'll we'll never find out what really happened, and that's kind of the frustrating thing. But welcome to cycling. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> you're always just these vague questions are never answered. But uh, yeah, I I don't like it. I think it's suspicious. I'm worried. I'm worried about our woot. Is he is he involved in a bad crowd at at Jumbo Visma? I'm not suggesting Yumbo visma is is a bad team, but that was strange. Uh, and so the next is uh, the, the I sent out a newsletter to premium subscribers this morning about uh, Team Quebeca asos who you know as Team NTT. Uh, they NTT is a Japanese telecom conglomerate who purchased Dimension Data, like the data analytics firm, who originally sponsored the team. Dimension Data is a South African company. It's a South African team. So there was a synergy there. And Dimension Data is also, they actually did some pretty interesting things with the team and did some data mapping and tracking with the Tour de France. So the the crossover made a lot of sense. As soon as NTT retired that brand, it was kind of clear that that they weren't going to continue sponsoring the team for much longer. They didn't really seem to care about cycling. What does a faceless Japanese telco really have to gain from market? And, unless the, they really wanted something to rally around internally uh, and kind of bring v- like VIP business development personnel to the Tour de France to be around the team. Unless you're doing that, it really doesn't make sense. It's a big telco to sponsor a team. I think Telecom, I mean, they famously sponsored the... Deutsche Telekom team, uh, I think they used it. I'm just guessing they, they probably used it to like raise German pride, like German performances on the international stage. And it like raised morale internally at the company. And also, I mean, Deutsche Telekom is a much more aggressive consumer facing brand. It also like, helped them build brand affinity in, in the US, which is a pretty competitive, fairly competitive telco market with things like T Mobile. Uh, But I mean, they 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 worked pretty hard on that brand activation. NTT did not seem to care, so I wasn't surprised when they didn't renew for 2021. But I was surprised when ASOS, which is like a niche cycling clothing brand, came on to sponsor the team, mainly because uh, I I couldn't imagine where they're getting the money from. I I spoke to someone who had, who would have like intimate knowledge of a, a company like that, and he estimated he or she or they I don't want to give away any, any clues to this anonymous source, but they estimated the revenue, like revenue, this is not profit, revenue, like at $30 to $35 million a year globally. So, you know, uh, Rafa, Rafa, I would guess one of the biggest clo- cycling clothing brands in the world. They do about $100 million in revenue a year. Uh, their expenses are probably slightly higher since they do have like global. A global uh, network of clubhouses. But there, I looked back, their best ever margin, pre tax margin was 5.4%. So (laughs) let's just assume ASOS is doing up 50 million a year at 5% margin. I just don't see where they're getting the four to 5 million to sponsor a team, which that's a really low amount. A normal grand tour, a world tour sponsorship is probably 10 to 15, if not 20 million. So Uh, like EF's budget is around like 20, I'd say 25 million a year. Uh, The title sponsor will put in about 70% of that. So, and that's not even a big budget team. That's about half, that's less than half the budget of Ineos. So you really need someone to pony up 15 to $20 million to be somewhat competitive. So them stretching to get a $4 million commitment seems like it's it's a huge stretch for the company. I don't I kind of dig into it in the newsletter. I don't really understand where it's coming from. I lay out a few different possibilities. But what the kind of the thing that I the unfortunate conclusion is that this isn't gonna work. They're going to the the ASOS is really going to have to stretch to put that money in and it's just not going to be enough. Like not even close. If you look at their signings so far, it's really just I hate to. I don't mean any disrespect, but it's just pack fodder, and they're losing really good riders. So they they lost Edvard Bosenhagen, who went to Total Direct Energy, which is a second division team. That's not a good sign. Um, another guy, Louis Minti Louis Menches, he's a South African rider, really talented. Not a lot of great results, but someone you want to keep around, especially if you're a South African team. He goes to a second di- division team, uh, Matthew Vanderpool's Alpes and Phoenix team. Michael Valgren goes to EF. He's a really, really talented writer. Ben O'Connor, where did Ben O'Connor go? Yeah, Ben O'Connor goes to Ajay Duer. Uh, that's that's kind of a normal team you would go to, but it's not a good sign because it looks like they're being outbid by second division teams, which would tell you the second division teams probably have larger budgets than they do. Uh, they claim to have a budget of nine point seven million per year. Uh, even if we assume that's true, that seems high. I don't know where they'd be getting all that money from. That's not nearly enough to compete with other world tour teams. And even if a second division team like some I mean some of these French second division teams, they they're actually very well funded. Like probably more than $10 million a year. But they can afford to it's kind of a sweet situation because like okay think of like Archaea Samsic, Naira quintana's team, total direct energy. Uh and there's one more I'm not thinking of. I always forget. I think Kofidis, they used to be second division, now they're in the first division. But they have the luxury of, there's lower infrastructure costs at the second division. Uh, like your registration fees with UCI, UCI are lower. You can go to far fewer races, which means, you know, it's just cheaper because you don't have to get to the races. You don't have to fly riders there. And you can have fewer riders because you have fewer riding commitments. So you can have a smaller payroll. You can pay each rider more and still and have the same budget as someone like, Team Quebec at ASOS. So you start to see the conundrum that they're in. It's not a good situation where they have, I think they have to send a team to every World Tour race, which is it's really taxing. So you really have to have two, if not three, complete squads inside your one team because you're often running a double schedule. That gets really expensive really fast. And that, that's where you burn through most of your money as a World Tour team. So they would be much better off just surrendering the World Tour license. I'm not quite sure why they haven't done this. Well, so it gets harder. If you're, if you're a second division team, you're not French. You're not guaranteed a Tour de France slot. A lot of these French squads know they can stay in the second division, and they'll get wild card slots to the Tour de France. It's getting harder for reasons I won't get into here. It's kind of boring, but that's, the, that's where it gets really hard to compete against these teams like Total Direct Energy and Rider Signings if you're a World Tour, because you have to actually spend more money to sign a writer for the same amount of money as them. Uh, and I would guess that's why they're losing a lot of these guys, but they're replacing really good writers. Like Edvard Bosenhagen might not have won many races recently, but he's a world class rider. Same with Michael Valgren, like really good writer, one of the best in the world. Louis Minties, Minches, I, I have no idea if I'm saying that name right. <laughs> he might not have accomplished a lot recently, but he's so talented. Ben O'Connor, I mean, the guy. What, he got second at a falta stage and then won the next day? Really good. And even like South African Ryan Gibbons, who left the team. It's also a bad sign that they're losing South African riders as a South African team. And they're replacing them with like Harry Tanfield. No no offense to these riders, but Harry Tanfield, Sean Bennett, Emo Vengebo, who I've never heard of, Lasse Norman Hansen, who's I'm sure strong, but, but these guys are not race winners at the highest level. Um, Simon Clark, who is good. He's a veteran journeyman from EF, but he's not going to win you many races, if any, or Fabio Aru. I mean, this is like the sign that things are really bad. They signed Fabio Aru, 2015 Vuelta Espana winner from UAE Team Emirates. Aru, I believe, has gone the longest of any rider in the world tour between winning races. So he hasn't won a race in like three and a half years. Like over a thousand days. Yeah. So that'd be three and a half years. Uh, and he, and not only that, I mean, a lot of guys don't win races. It's hard to win a race, but he's not able to contribute. He's not able to do teamwork at the races where he isn't winning. Um, he, a, it's just in his nature to ride for himself because he's a team leader. Some people are just wired that way, but he can't even do teamwork. He's a, it's, he's not wired for it and B he's not strong enough. So that's, I know, I don't know what happened to him, Maybe we can speculate another time. I know he had like an artery issue and he had to get a surgery to correct that. In theory, he should be recovered. Um, I don't know. I I've never really trusted him. He was on Astana and just came out of nowhere as a Grand Tour winner, and then wasn't as good. That's a little. That's super shady to me. So yeah, I don't want to accuse him of anything concrete, but uh, yeah, red flags were going up for sure when he won that Volta Espana, and then. I actually, I've been debating with a few readers and listeners uh, kind of through email of if Tade Pokachar is doping or not. The most uh, most common question I get. You know, he could be or he couldn't be. Um, it's not really fair to say he is since we have no proof, but a good way to tell, to like kind of unofficially tell, is if like Tade Pokachar came along, incredible performance, wins the 2020 tour. If he can continue. This is kind of, I don't totally trust Chris Froome, and Chris Froome has had issues with positive tests before. Um, that's another super boring saga I won't go into. Uh, it ended up not, he kind of could skew it, so it wasn't illegal. But Chris Froome, in his uh, defense, has really had, for a while, it was like years and years and years of consistent results, of consistently being about equally good. Um, that's a good I mean, it's not like the best, it's not foolproof, but it's a good sign that someone isn't really pushing the envelope. If Tadej Pogacar is never as good as he was in 2020, that's a bad sign. That means something was probably amiss uh, in the stage 20 the stage 20 of the Tour de France. Uh, that's exactly what happened to Fabio Rue. I mean, he was so good. He was the Tadej Pogacar of his time, and there was never even close to his good. So right there, red flags are going up for me. Um, I don't think, I mean, a couple of different things can happen there. The UCI doesn't like to admit it, but they will notice your blood values are out of whack. Cause you have to do this thing called the, like the UCI passport, basically a, like a blood levels passport. So you, ha- oh you're they're always testing your blood levels. And if they're, if values are changing outside of like a normal range, they, they've they had trouble actually suspending people because they can just take UC out of court and say, hey, well, I actually didn't test positive, so you can't suspend me. But what they've used that for is they use this biological passport to kind of like give you a speeding ticket. So they can unofficially call you in and say, hey, something's wrong here. We know what you're doing. Chill out or we're going to catch you. Uh, and if you remember Alberto Contador was, they never caught him... He was always like suspicious. Actually, the tour didn't invite him in 2008 because they thought he was so doped without any proof. And then in 2000, that must have been 2000. I forget when the sample was drawn. It was maybe 2009, 2010. They know something's up. So they send his blood to a lab. It's the only lab in the world that could have detected a trace amount of the drug he was using that small. So they purposely sent it there to kind of catch him out because he knew... Almost no labs could, could detect what he was using, uh, and he thought he could get away with it, but the UCI were probably annoyed, and probably mainly ASO the organizer of the tour, was annoyed that he was kind of doping with impunity. So they sent his sample to the one lab in the world that could detect amounts that small and caught him. So they, there is definitely precedent of this happening, of riders kind of getting rushed back. I wonder if that happened to a Roo And that's why he's not the same. Granted, this is just me speculating. I have no information on this. But uh, yeah, Fabio Ruiz is terrible. Long story short, not someone you really want to be signing. Maybe they got him for the minimum UCI salary, which is like 48,000 euros a year. Uh, That's really all they would pay for him. I mean, if he can turn it around, I guess it's worth it. If the problem is he does eat up a roster spot that you could use on someone. I mean, Simon Clark is not an expensive rider. And he's he's going to do more work for the team than Fabio Ru. If Fabio Rue isn't winning, there's literally no reason to have him on your team. So, uh, yeah, that that, that was. This is like a. I was concerned when I saw this signing because it's like, wow, they don't have, they don't have any, anybody. They can't pull in anyone, and they must be really pinching pennies because, you know, maybe ASOS is affording the sponsorship by just giving them, let's say, a million dollars a year. And maybe they're getting a few million from BMC, their bike sponsor. Maybe they're getting a million from their helmet sponsor, Giro. And that might be it. So, I mean, just if you look at their signings, it is uh, really cheap. I mean, they, it looks like they're paying most guys except Giacomo Nizzolo, the European road race champion, and Domenico Pozzovivo. I think they're paying everyone about the minimum. Um, and if you paid everyone the minimum salary, payroll would be slightly like one and a half million. Yeah, they might. Yeah, I, I think their budget is actually quite a bit smaller than uh than, than they're letting on. Um, it, it does raise an interesting point of if, you know, you can you could kind of like get excited about this if like oh wow it's a small budget team like you could do money you could play money ball and 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 pick undervalued riders and win. But I feel like we're far below the amount of money you'd need to even do that because they don't they can't even get creative with any of this they just have to pick you know really the only if i was consulting for them i'd say you know maybe pick everyone on the minimum salary and make that public and then just be known as like the underdog team so then any results you get are gravy i think that's the only way to save this because you know, they can't even get creative. They're bringing in Fabio Aru. I mean, that's desperation right there. Desperation. Like, Louis Menchies hasn't had a result in years, and they still couldn't afford him. (laughs) It's like, this is not good at all. Edvard Bosenhagen, same thing. If he's not sticking around, you know, he's not a hot property. He's talented. He's not a race winner anymore. And if you can't afford him, it's tough to imagine them affording anyone. So, you know, that would be my pushback on if it's like, well, they could get really creative here. I think they're, they're stretched so thin with these, the world tour infrastructure costs and having to sign so many riders to go to all these races. They're just, they're just literally signing people for the minimum. So uh, not, not a good situation. I think it's ultimately a hurdle they, can't, they won't be able to clear. I think it's going to be so frustrating for the team to be so. so... I think they're going to be very bad. Very bad team. Uh, by far the worst team in the world tour. So frustrating for ASOS, who is going to be paying to them at least a good amount of money and getting like when you're a bad world tour team, I think companies would be shocked at the, at the amount. Of, you don't get a ton of publicity, you rarely get any. You know, you'd rather be the kit sponsor of like Yumbo Visma than you would title sponsor of NTT, in my opinion. I mean, I think, you know, I bet I could do some analysis and prove that your ROI is actually better. And I think a great case study of this is Rafa with EF. You know, EF's pretty good, not a great team, but they're pretty good. They've got some good riders on that team. And Rafa's paying them, I would bet Rafa's paying them between 500,000 and a million dollars a year to be their clothing sponsor. And they definitely make that work. I mean, they get a lot out of that. I think a lot of people assume that it's Rafa's team. And the EF is just the sponsor. I mean, they really own that space. And to me, that's the move. You know, you try to replicate that at Yumbo Visma if you're ASOS. Uh, this is, I think they're going to be really frustrated by this. I think there's going to be a lot of hard questions at the uh, 2021 marketing meetings about why they're spending so much money on this team and not getting a ton out of it. And I know a lot of people were excited about a cycling company coming back in as a title sponsor. That's kind of the way the sport was originally run, like back in the in the glory days of the '40s, '50s, '60s, '70s. Um, Trek Segafredo, Trek's obviously a bike company, is the title sponsor for Team. Uh, That was exciting for people, but that's you know, to me, that's apples and oranges. Trek is a huge company. Um, I also think it makes more sense for a bike. It's expensive to. Sponsored team uh, for a bike brand any any team any bike brand you're paying millions of dollars so it's kind of i actually agree with treks because trek i mean we got to remember treks like a 1.5 billion dollar a year in revenue company so they have a little bit more wiggle room here they can own the team and then bring on co-sponsors like segafredo who are probably footing a bit of that bill uh that makes a lot more sense to me than small. I think that's actually a bad sign when you have these small cycling brands coming in to be title sponsors. And I think it would, I would be more optimistic about it if, if there weren't teams like Israel startup nation and Ineos who, who literally have budgets of 50 to $55 million a year, just, they're just crushing you. I mean, you can't compete with that at a budget of $7 million a year. It's just not possible. So you know, if the sport was to contract, its I mean I also don't love this because it means riders' salaries were going to I love to see riders making tons of money. I think that's great. um uh, they're kind of just like a wealth transfer between really rich guys like Sylvan Adams, who owns his real startup nation or Jim Ratcliffe and giving it to the working man. I love to see that uh, th- there is an issue with inflation wage inflation where uh because those con- Teams can spend so much money that anyone decent gets sucked up into a few squads and it's really hard for these smaller teams to make it work. I mean, I think Movistar is seen as like the little team that could, and they're sponsored by Movistar, which is a huge international telco company. So yeah, I I'm not excited about this at all. I almost think it it's diff if you remember the high Road team was super successful, though. I'm, this is a made-up American word, but the most winningest team in pro cycling. Uh, the owner was Bob Stapleton, was uh, made his money in telecom, I think, but that was just his like, passion project, but he would bring on sponsors to keep the team at a certain level. And then when he couldn't do it, he just folded the team up, thinking that you know, at the time, I didn't understand the decision. I thought it was kind of silly where it's like, well, couldn't you just continue the team at half the budget? And now it's like Quebec Asos is kind of proving to me why he made that decision. Because it just ends up being frustrating for everyone involved. And you wonder if it would be the right thing just to let that world tour license lapse and go to a you know a team like Rally. And, you know, maybe Doug Ryder could maybe sunset the team and then start a development team in Africa, just tries to send riders to tries to facilitate their development and send them to the world tour. Uh, I think that would probably be where the money's better spent. Uh, But let's move on to, uh, I covered a bit this week, the 2021 Tour de France odds, which seems crazy. That's a really long ways away. Uh, Why are we even thinking about it? But if you do want to make money on the races like that, that now is actually a good time because there's there's little to no liquidity in these markets. So it's really just the opening odds that the bookmaker puts out. Uh, There's not enough money put in at the moment to correct any mistakes they've made so if you want to catch them out now's the time so i was just um looking at the odds for the tour because of this and i noticed some some huge mistakes it's crazy so like every book i looked at i, I also assume these books just copy each other so like the the three biggest ones i look at are bet, bet mgms sky bet, and bet 365 I only bet on BetMGM because I'm American and you can do that legally in Colorado. It just makes it a lot easier than like opening bank accounts in other countries to do that or using Bitcoin to do the transfer. But so Taddei Pogacar, who crushed the Tour de France in 2020, I mean, it was like he was trailing, I guess, for the whole time. But if you remember, he got a flat. No, he was just cut out in the crosswinds on stage seven. Lost a ton of time, like a minute and a half. Normally, you're done. Like, you can't come back from that. Tadej Pogacar comes back, uh, I think, on stage eight. He made up a chunk of that time, like 45 seconds. And just kind of, like, chills out for the rest of the race. Just like, yeah, I'll just hang with these guys. And then I'll crush them in the TT, which is exactly what he did. Um, And the 2021 Tour, in my mind, favors him even more. Because there's more time trialing. And he proved in that TT that he's one of the best time trialists in the world. He was to have the second fastest time on the flat part before they got to the climb, behind a second behind Tom Dumoulin, who's really good, world champion in the time trial. So right there, I'm thinking, hey, this guy's one of the best in the world. How do we? We can't really dispute that. He's also just, if we just look at his power numbers, he, you know, he's good. <laughs> it's kind of that simple. He can push that on the flats. If he can push it on the climbs, he can probably push it on the flats. You know, it gets a little more. The science is a little bit more complicated. Maybe you can push a little less on the flats and the climbs. Maybe not. But uh, he's really he's got a a big engine. He'll be able to time trial. He'll probably be even better at time trialing next year than he was this year, just from working on it and getting older. So a lot of time trials in next year's Tour de France. A lot, few climbs, not a ton. Uh, That's gonna be good for him too. Fewer chances to lose it. And he's so strong, he can put time into people probably whenever he wants to in this climb. So I have no idea how he's not the favorite to win this thing overall. It's crazy. He's plus 275 on bet MGM, which means if you bet 100, you win $275. On bet 365, he's plus 325. And on Skybet, it's the same thing, plus 325. The favorite is Ruglich at plus 175. To me, that's a little, that's kind of crazy. I mean, he demonstrably beat Primoz Roglic. He's stronger than Primoz Roglic. Primoz Roglic rode, like, the perfect Tour de France and lost. Like, it wasn't even really close. So how would he beat him in 2021 when he's older? And Pogochar's going to be—he won it at 21, so he's going to be 22. He's just getting stronger every year in theory. Uh, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh— I think the tour. I mean, if you're asking, if right now, I'm just gonna say Tadej Pogacar is gonna win. If Tadej Pogacar doesn't win, maybe Primus Roglic. If not Primus Roglic, maybe Richard Carapaz. Uh, I think it's. I think the list is about that short. I think Tao Gegenhart maybe could win it. I, I know this sounds crazy, but I go through it Wednesday's Thursday's newsletter a little bit. Uh, But yeah, if we just look at the odds, it's Primoz Roglic, favorite, plus 175. Tadipo Tadipo chart, plus 275. Remco Evanapol, who's never ridden a three-week race before, in third, at plus 400. That's crazy. Garrett Thomas, plus 1,100, a little less crazy. Tom Dumoulin, plus 1,200, a little less crazy. Egon Bernal, plus 1,200, that's crazy, but only because he seems to have a back injury, a serious back injury that's severed... A slip disc that severed a nerve that runs to his leg? That seems important. Uh, Richard Carapaz at plus 2,500. Crazy. He's, he's the third Ineos rider on this list, and I think he's uh, far and away their best tour, best Grand Tour rider. Thibaut Pinot, that's insane. lassoff that's insane. Bookman, what are we talking about? Chris Froome, get out of here. Simon Yates, get out of here. Sivakov. You know I love him, but I don't think he's going to win the tour next year. Kroeswick, no way. Lopez, no way. Landon, no way. So, yeah, what are we left with here? We're left with Bogachar Roglic, maybe, maybe, maybe Garrett Thomas. I'll, I don't think so. I'll tell you in a little bit. Tom Dumoulin, I don't think so. Burnell, no way. Carapaz, maybe. <laughs> you know, to me, it's that simple. Uh, Garrett Thomas, he looked okay, I mean, but he's going to be 36 next year. Now he'll be 35 next year. Uh that would make him I believe the second oldest winner ever of the Tour de France and the oldest in the modern era. I think Cadell Evans was 33 when he won in 2011 and he was the oldest for a long time. I mean, it's not going to ha- like it's not going to happen. And he was he was a good time trialist this year. He was really strong. I uh, got 4th at World Championships, but we never really saw him climb that well. He was just terrible at the Dauphiné, so bad that he didn't make the Tour de France team. And then people thought he was good at Tirreno Adriatico, but he got beat by Simon Yates, who no one would argue that he's a Grand Tour winner anymore. I mean, he won the Volta in 2018, and he's never been even close to good enough to win since then. So yeah, it's just crazy to me that people are assuming that as he's going to be a year older, and then this climbing form that we never saw in 2020 is going to magically come around. I don't buy that at all. Uh, Dumoulin kind of looks, I don't know, he looks like he's falling apart. I don't really understand. I think next week or the week after, I'm going to do a deep dive newsletter on that. i also do a companion podcast. Uh, this is a big off season for him, but I, I don't think he can win. Just his, I mean, he was, he really struggled at points in the tour this year and then he couldn't, he dropped out of the Vuelta in the first week, and then just kind of meant some of the, the signaling he does through the press about where his mental state is uh, doesn't make me think that he can recover and come back and win another Grand Tour. But I mean, yeah, it's like, what are we talking about here? tade Pogacar is the best Grand Tour rider in the world, and it's not even close, really. So yeah, if he's healthy and he doesn't crash, he's going to win this race. If he crashes, Primus Roglic is probably going to win this race. There's a huge Slovenian doping bust. Maybe the, neither of them are at the race. I mean, that's the only thing that could stop one of those two guys from winning. Uh, Carapaz, I really like him. I wrote a little bit about this. Uh, I think I, this was in the last podcast too, where the Tour de France tends to favor uh, time trial skills, even when there's not a ton of time trials. And he, I don't think he's quite good enough at time trials to win. I don't think he'll ever win a Tour de France. Kind um, of makes me sad, but he's not good enough in the time trial to win it it's quite a bit of time trialing at this upcoming race uh yeah there is famously a sophomore slump that riders who win a grand uh, the tour rarely win even multiple time winners rarely win in the year following it's only happened eight times by my count eight times in the 117 year history of the race so normally that would make me concerned. Garrett Thomas did say that, like specifically, the soirées, the partying, celebration, uh, kept him from winning in 2019. Egan Bernal, kind of the same thing, where he showed up to Tour Colombia in early 2020 after winning a tour in 2019 and was a little a little flat. I think he overcompensated by training too hard in the between the Tour of Colombia and then the summer. And I think that's kind of what led to some of his back problems he's suffering suffering with now. But the thing Pogacar has going for him, and there's not not a ton to do. Like There's no parties going on in Monaco right now because of COVID. So I think in a roundabout way, this is going to help him uh, repeat next year. Uh, Yeah, and then Carapaz, I don't think he's going to win, but at plus 2,500, that's not a bad bet. That's pretty good, especially considering he's around... Tibo Pino. I mean, Tibo. What are we talking about? No way is Pino gonna win. Like he, he proved without a doubt that he's not a Grand Tour rider anymore. Uh, Vlasov. No way. I mean, so yeah. When you look at the company Carapaz is in, that's, that's not a bad bet. Uh, Rimko Ebenapol, I do think he'll win the tour someday, but he did have a terrible crash. He's a never raced the. Th- this is what's crazy to me. People are just assuming that he's gonna come in and start winning Grand Tours. He's twenty years old. Which, I mean, that age, Pogacar proved you can be young and win. But Pogachar at least had ridden Grand Tours before. He's never win. I mean, he doesn't know how his body's going to react. No one knows. You know, it's like, I don't, I have could not find an example of someone ever winning their first Grand Tour ever. Uh, except for, of course, the people who raced the first Grand Tours ever. But, and he fractured his femur. Uh, at the Giro de Lombardia in August, so yeah, I, I've not really heard that how that recovery is going, that certainly, even if it recovers like 100%, uh, that's a few missed months of training, that it does take a while to, to make up for that, because you, you're starting without a base, and you have to build your base up for months and months and months, and usually the following year, you're not as strong, it takes you like a year or two to come back from missing that much time. I also... I will say I thought the same thing about Wu Art. I just thought the time where he literally couldn't walk was going to have some atro like atrophy effects in his legs. Certainly proved me wrong this year. So, I could be wrong, but even if he re- recovers in 2021, I mean, just having no experience in a 3-week race, that's crazy to me he's the third favorite. I mean, short Evan-a-pole, bet By betting Roglic and Bogachar and Karapaz, please. Uh and then yeah, our, our the last thing we'll cover uh I'll cover before we take off today is kind of the news kind of slipped past me. i It's really caught me by surprise, but Rod Ellingworth left Barre and Merida. He left Sky a few years ago. If you re- remember in 2018, Sky ceased their sponsorship of the team. Oh, they, it was kind of a funny situation because they owned the team and sponsored it, which is unusual. Uh, they sold to Comcast. Comcast, as we know from uh as cable town and 30 rock is like famously cheap. Uh and we're just like, yeah, there's no way we're paying fifty five million dollars a year to like for a cycling team that promotes British values and imperialistic an attempt to capture the imperialistic glory of Britain around the world, like that's a bad investment for us. Uh we're not doing this anymore. So after that acquisition, they stopped. I also think it was all always like a little passion project for James Murdoch, who is into cycling and uh, famously an heir of, uh, News Corp, which owned Scott, which owns, owned Sky before they sold it. Uh, they brought on Ineos and kind of in that chaos, I wonder if Ellingworth thought that they weren't going to get a new owner and he left and went to Barre and Merida and maybe just, he wanted to spread his own rings, wings, run his own team that clearly hasn't worked out that well. I mean, for either party, Ellingworth has said, I would, he did get, Mika Landa's best result ever at the Tour de France and 4th this year, which I mean that's nothing to sneeze at. That was an incredibly stacked tour. I'd say maybe one of the most stacked ever because of just the way COVID reshuffled the calendar that anyone who is anyone was at the Tour de France this year. So to get 4th, that's not that's not nothing. So I don't want to sound like I'm I'm kind of just dismissing his achievements there. But I I feel like uh when they when they he departed that team they, both both parties achieved like less than the, some of their parts because I think they had Garrett Thomas, maybe I'm misremembering this, but they had Garrett Thomas win the tour in 2018 and then they had Egan Bernal win in 2019. So it's like, hey, what's the problem? Like the team's great. But even if you remember back to Bernal's win in 2019, yeah, that was their first year's INEOS. Uh, the team was quite bad. Bernal was good, but the team was bad. Um, no one really noticed because he won the race, but. If we remember, obviously, they were terrible at the tour this year. They were an awful team. They won a stage, but that's hardly a consolation when you're the biggest budgeted team in the world. Uh, The great Giro, obviously, they won, I think, seven stages, eight stages uh, and the overall. But then at the Vuelta, it was kind of this this old thing, this, this problem since Ellingworth left where the team would be terrible. I mean, Richard Carapaz was basically riding unattached in that race. He'd maybe have Andre Amador around him. Sometimes when it was hard. But I think he lost that, Velta, because the team was so weak. They could never really support him when the race was tough and they couldn't set up any attacks in that final week. He needed a really strong team around him to isolate Roglic and then have him and then be able to attack him in the final week. And the team just wasn't strong enough. And in my mind, there's a direct correlation between Ellingworth leaving and that team falling off. And I've not heard, I'm just assuming. He left Barre and Marita saying he had an offer from another team. If he goes back to Ennios, I don't know anything. I'm just assuming that this could be happening. That's big news for Ennios. I mean, that they could actually uh, I mean they, they could kind of return to their former glory. And not only did were they bad at the tour this year, Jumbo Visma stole like basically stole their playbook and is doing what they used to do to them. So they, they need drastic change of that team. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Dave, Braille, Dave Brailsford got the green light to throw whatever dollar amount was needed to get L.A. North back there because they realize there's, there's this new crop of team coming up that is stronger than them and can ride, like, use their tactic, tactics against them. The problem is they don't really have riders that fit the profile to win these races like the tour de france anymore they used to i mean they won all these races by having a strong time trialist a guy who could win the time trials while also being the best climber (laughs) obviously that sounds ridiculous like how could that happen of course the best rider in the race is going to win but these new crop of gc riders they have like tail gagenhart's not a good time trialist so yeah he's got to like they just have to it's hard. It's like you can't repeat success. It's easy to repeat success when you're a good time trialist. That's why like Miguel Indurain won five tours, Lance Armstrong seven tours. Those guys were the strongest time trialists in those Tour de Frances. Chris Froome four tours because he's such a strong time trialist. It's hard to replicate success when you rely on uh, mountain stages, basically any road stage, because it's un- unpredictable. There's many variables. There's few variables in the time trial, so. Because they don't have Richard Carapace, the same thing. Great, great writer. I love him. He's very exciting to watch. He's not a strong... He's a weak time trialist. incredibly weak. Probably one of the weakest Grand Tour writers, winners, in recent memory at time trialing. So it's just going to be hard for them. They can't just run back their formula. And I don't really... They don't really have a writer... They've always had the best Grand Tour rider in the world. That's the only reason their whole shtick has worked. If you just ride on the front, as uh, Jumbo Wiesma saw this year at the Tour, and you don't have the strongest rider, you can't win because you're just going to get ambushed by a stronger rider in the time trial. And then you've controlled the race to your own detriment because you're controlling it so much that you can't gain time on other people. So this is a big problem for them. And... You know, I wonder if they're bringing in Ellingworth to. It's easier. You have to visualize it like a time trialist. It's like a, a Michelangelo looking at a block of marble, you know, like staring at a block of marble for nine months straight, just going into his studio, eating a meal, looking at the marble, going home. It's like, that's what he did. And then it took him three weeks, like something like three weeks just to chisel it down into, into David. That's how, they, that's how you build a Grand Tour writer with it time trialists. You start with just the roughest time trialist you can imagine, like Filippo Ghana or Rowan Dennis. I mean, that's what—Garen Thomas was not a Grand Tour rider. Bradley Wiggins was not a Grand Tour rider. They chiseled these guys down into Grand Tour riders from time trialists. That's their model. So I would guess they're bringing him in to turn Filippo Ghana and Rowan Dennis into Grand Tour riders, because they recognize they can't win consistently with Teo Giggenhart and Richard Carapaz. Uh that's all that's me connecting quite a few dots there and getting pretty wild with some speculation, but I, I i wrote a few weeks ago that their best bet at Twitter France victories are Ghana and Dennis. It's not it's not the obvious guys. It's not Bernal. Bernal can't time trial, so I mean he's okay, but can't put time into people consistently. So, you know, they Ineos knows this. They're smart. Like they're, they're one of the smartest teams out there. So if I'm talking about this, they're talking about it internally. So I think their plan is to turn Ghana and Dennis into Grand Tour riders from time Trialist. And kind of at the, uh, and Bernal, it's kind of sad. I mean, these are like fun riders who I think would do well on other teams, but I fear Bernal, Carapaz, and Gegenhardt are just going to become like expensive domestiques. You know, they're just going you know, to control the race in the mountains for these superior time trialists. Uh, I mean, Gagenhart, the one wrinkle here is Gegenhart did put down, I think he did like 430 watts for 18 minutes in the final TT of the Giro. That's pretty good. I mean, that's like Chris Froome good. So maybe he does. Maybe, you know, there could be a time trialist hidden inside of Teo Gegenhart, But uh, I don't know. I mean, if you just look at his career performances, even in that time trial where he had a good result, he like, lost to Wilco Kelderman. So, if you're not beating Wilco, that's not good enough to win a grand tour, you know, against guys like Bogachar, Du Milan, and uh, even Garrett Thomas or Roglic. So, uh, lie, a lot of questions there. Let, I'm going to keep an eye on that. And that's just if if, the, if that is what happened, what's happened, if that happens, I called it first. So, uh, if it doesn't, I'll delete this podcast if when uh Egan Bernal's champion Tour de France champion 2021 I will be deleting this podcast and please don't talk about it please don't rub it back in my face all right well have a great week and we will be back next week I believe with a special guest so uh have a good weekend and thanks for listening and please rate and review the podcast if you enjoy it so other people can find it all right bye